Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode.
Alrighty. Hi, everybody. This is Karen Fabian, and I am the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. And we're here at episode 46 of Conversations for Yoga Teachers, my podcast. Now, listeners, you obviously can't see my guest, but I can see her. The first time we were on the podcast, and actually both times we were on the podcast together, we did it in a different format. So I couldn't see her, but now I can see her. So this is actually like we're just sitting having a cup of tea and just chatting, which I totally love. So I want to introduce you to my podcast guest. She has been on the podcast before. She's coming to us from Tennessee, Gabby DeLoren. So hello, Gabby. Hello, Karen. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited for today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I was telling um, listeners, I was telling Gabby before we began, this is kind of a little bit of a a milestone for me in a way. Milestone is probably too big of a word, but this is the first time I'm doing a podcast episode with absolutely no script. So Gabby and I are just going to be talking kind of free form. um, And I know that we're going to be able to just really kind of stay on, on topic because we both feel really strongly about this topic we've got for you today. However, I'm just realizing that because I am flying freeform with no script, I don't have my little encapsulated intro of you. So I'm going to start out by having you just tell, if they didn't listen to the other two episodes, um, tell a little bit about yourself. And just FYI, listeners, I will link up in the show notes to the other two episodes Gabby was on with me because in those, we broke down a lot of anatomical Mm -hmm. uh, information for you in terms of some myths that are out there and just a lot of teachings on the anatomy of yoga, which is gonna be different from our focus today. So I'm gonna link those two up in the show notes so you can hear those super easily. You won't have to scroll through all the episodes to find them. And so let's kick it off, Gabby, with just a little bit of who you are, where you are, who do you help, and what's your focus? Absolutely. Um, So my name is Gabby DeLorenz and uh, originally I'm from Connecticut. I went through undergrad at UConn um, in athletic training. So the person who runs on a football field when someone gets hurt, um, that's my my undergrad degree is in. um, I went on to Auburn University to get my master's in biomechanics. I fell in love with the body, how it works, why it works. Um, So I moved to Nashville to work in a physical therapy office, set hours, no weekends. It sounded all good and great. Um, But corporate life is tough. And I had some personal things happen to me. Um, If you follow me at all, I've I've been through a sexual assault and that was really my big pivot point where you know, I needed to serve myself and it was hard to be working with corporate. You have, you know, scheduled PTO and I really just wasn't okay. And that really was my big pivot point where I started my own company. Um, and so my company is called soul to soul wellness. And my mission is to help people feel good on and off the yoga mat, um, in the sense of mindfulness, preventing burnout, um, physically feeling good and then finding um, at an emotional, mental, emotional level where your emotions live within your body and your physical body. And then for me, I use the physical body to help release then the emotions um, because again, anatomy is my jam. Yeah. So, uh, but from there, I really... I had people, you know, I built my company soul to soul. I work with clients one-on-one doing what I call quote unquote yoga rehab. So it's a blend of yoga with physical therapy, with mindfulness, meditation, all the feel good wellness stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then I also, I go in and teach the anatomy portions of teacher trainings and workshops. And I was doing a ton of education, but I was still building my company. And I eventually had people just start asking me, you know, like I'm actually making pretty, to be totally transparent. um, I started off, it was a hard and struggle, um, but I built it up to building uh, consistently five figure months. And People were asking me, you know, as a yoga teacher, I think in our minds, we're all chronically poor and the Yamas and Niyamas don't say that we have to be (laughs) and that we don't have to charge for our services. So um, I had a bunch of people asking me, so I've made this beautiful transition over the last uh, two months specifically, but into business coaching, helping uh, what I call health and wellness experts or professionals. Um, anybody who wants people to move better, more efficiently, personal trainers, physical therapists, looking to step out on their own. Um, I'm, I empower them to do that and really help them with all the mistakes that I've made to kind of streamline their success so they can actually start making money. That's amazing. So there's a couple of things I want to kind of pull out, which will make us kind of go down a couple of different paths. And the first one I want to just, um, kind of focus on, I just want to kind of acknowledge you or not kind of, I want to acknowledge you for really taking care of yourself in those moments when you were in that nine to five job. And, you know, I do follow you on Instagram. So I've seen your posts over the past several weeks and just tell people what your Instagram is. It is. uh, I just changed it. So it's now Gab period DeLorenz. It's my last name, D-E-L-O-R-E-N-Z-E. Okay, good. And actually, I'm just going to make um, a, con- a note here to myself. So your IG, I'm going to put in the show notes plus the two past episodes. So listeners, you'll be able to see both of those links on the um, version of this podcast that's on my website. Um, so yeah, so I have been following you and I had um, I had seen your posts where you were really sharing with people about what had happened to you. And I think since today's focus of our of our conversation is on really the business side, mm-hmm. I want to just hear a little bit about when you were at that point where you were working in this full-time job, getting regular paychecks, and you had this knowledge or this feeling that this just isn't right for me right now. I need to put myself first. That must have been terrifying to think about leaving the regularity of those paychecks and to, to honor where you were kind of emotionally, physically, all of it. So how did you get the wherewithal to, to take that step? And what did that really look like? Did you just go into work one day and say, I quit? Or how did that? What a great question. Um, a little bit, yes, I kind of did. Um, so for me, my whole life was in athletics um, up until after grad school. And so when you're a, when you're a graduate student, um, you're working 60 hour work weeks, but the trade-off was I got a free education. Um, so I, you know, I think the hustle is just expected. And so I had to miss my sister's college graduation. I had to just, I was missing these really big life events. And for me, family is the most important thing. And so that kind of, you know, grad school kind of set it off. And, you know, I was promised to go to my sister's graduation. I gave them way heads up for it. And then all of a sudden there's a tennis tournament that we weren't supposed to make it into. And we did. And so all of a sudden my director of sports medicine just changed his mind. 
And I was like, I'm sorry, this is my sister's college graduation. Yep. And so that was kind of where I was like, this is, that was the decision where I said, I need to choose a nine to five job. So that's really what the step into the physical therapy office was. Um, but then from there, it was, so my sexual assault happened when I just moved to Nashville. I had only worked a week up until that point. And in a week, you don't build up PTO. Right. So I called my director after it happened. It happened on a Friday, a Friday or a Saturday. So I called him and I said, look, I can't come into work this week. And he was pushy, 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 pushy. And eventually he goes, well, I need an excuse. Or rather, I need to hear your reason. He didn't want an excuse. And right, I said, right. no, it's a very personal matter. I don't, I can't talk about it. And he needed something. And so eventually I said, look, over the weekend, I was sexually assaulted um, by one of my really good friends. And I'd rather not talk about it, but I need the week off. Let alone in a physical therapy office, the right. expectations are that you're touching people. Right. And that people are touching me. And I was like, I wanted, I just wanted, I needed space. Right. And, um, so from there I was now indebted to the PTO system because they don't just give you a week off unpaid. You have to take PTO. So I don't have a crude PTO cause I just started. So now I am indebted to the system already. I just started and you, but you know, I have a 401k, I have insurance. It was, it felt quote unquote safe. Um, up until the point of, you know, then my nephew was born. And I was still indebted to the PTO system. He was born maybe three months after I moved there, but I had taken a week off of work. So you, I'm, uh, I think 36 hours was like what they gave me for like my PTO. So I still owed them hours. And he basically, the day I was supposed to leave to go see my nephew, my nephew wasn't born yet. So I said, look, I don't need this day off anymore because he's not here. I said, Let, can I take maybe in two weeks? So, you know, give him the two weeks. And um, so, but basically that was, and then he, the day I was supposed to leave, he told me I couldn't go. And so I'm so sorry, I'm rambling. Long story short, Okay. Uh, long story short, I just, there was some, yeah, I walked in one day and I said, I literally, I, I didn't realize I was at a wit's end, but I was, and yeah. I knew there was a higher calling for me and it was not living by these PTO systems. And I just, I walked in, I didn't even have a letter of resignation. I just, yeah. I, I waited after work and I said, I just, this isn't serving me anymore. Right. Right. I was losing passion, helping my people. And you know, the days felt long and drudgerous and it was just that constant feeling. And I was like, work shouldn't feel this bad. Right. And it shouldn't feel this hard. And I shouldn't have to motivate myself to help people because I'm a two on the Enneagram. Like I, my whole life and purpose and mission in life is to help people feel good. Um, and so I, yeah, I walked in one day and I said, I have, to, this isn't serving me. I had no backup plan. Uh, but I knew it didn't feel good to my being and the every day, like dragging my knuckles on the floor, not wanting to get up, not even wanting to get up to go to yoga, which at that point I had gone through my teacher training. It was like, this is something has to give. And I definitely chose the job to give up and, um, with now, no backup you, plan, just did you it. Teaching, had you been teaching yoga at that point or you were at the point in your yoga career where you were working as a physical therapist and in a training program? 
So my training program was we would make, meet one weekend a month for nine months. And so it was one of the extended kind of programs. So I had finished the program in May and I quit my job in October. Um, but during that time, again, I, with the set schedule, I was going to yoga at six in the morning. Um, and I was really, my job was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7am to 7am to 6pm and Tuesday, Thursday was 12 to five. Those were the hours of the clinic I was in. Um, so I would teach a Tuesday night class at 730 and that was all that I had on my schedule. Yeah. Um, I would go to 6 a.m. yoga or 5.45 rather, the, ch the class got moved up. So I'd go to take my yoga at 5.45 in the morning. I'd work all day until 6 p.m. And then Tuesday nights was my night to teach. Uh, but anything more than that on my schedule and I felt a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. when you took this step to leave your physical therapy position and you were teaching a weekly yoga class, what did you do to fill that gap in? I waitressed. So oh. my whole life I was in the service industry. Um, rather, you know, like you get a job when you're 16 at yeah. a cafe. My mom was always a director of sales and catering. Like waitress to me was easy money. Um, and to be totally transparent with you guys, I when I quit, I decided, oh, I'll start seeing clients. I, I did start teaching um, the anatomy portions of teacher trainings yeah. um, at that point because during my anat uh, my teacher training, I, did, I realized this huge gap in the anatomy oh. and I know the anatomy. So um, I started teaching the anatomy portions, which was far and few between. Um, I might've had two studios willing to take a chance on me and I way undercharged for my services, especially mm -hmm. for the anatomy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I started waitressing and I took, I would say I took a few months off. So I might've picked up one more class on my schedule, yep. um, but then the anatomy portion and I just was enjoying not working so hard. Um, yeah. And really it was my first break since I since kindergarten, when I started yeah. school, I went right through school. So yeah, I took a few month hiatus. <laughs> yeah. So walk us through kind of what, how things developed for you. Cause it mm -hmm. sounds like what you're describing now is an interim phase and then things really grew from there. So how does it look now? What are the things that you're doing and, and how did you create those opportunities for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So basically from there, um, I rented my first space, which was a waste of money because I didn't have the clients to fill the space that I was paying for, um, which number one mistake, don't yeah. have a space without having the clients, find the clients first. Um, but basically when I realized that my clients weren't supporting the rent that I rented this space, um, I really, what I was doing, excuse me, let me start there. Uh, in the yoga world, people were getting hurt. People always get hurt either on the mat, off the mat, they seek the mat for healing. Um, and people started referring people to me like, oh, Gab can help you. Gab can modify for you. Um, because again, I know the anatomy. Yeah. And so my first few clients were that, you know, traditional, I have back pain. I am seeking yoga to help with my back pain. So I would take them through a blend of what I started calling yoga rehab. So, but at this point I was traveling, I had a big massage table. I'd put it in the back of my car. I'd sling it over my shoulder and I'd go house to house. Okay. And so I started off with just a few clients here and there. 
Um, and I wasn't charging for travel. I wasn't charging for, you know, I was just charging for my time and really undercharging again. Um, so, but I was going house to house doing a blend of physical therapy, uh, with some yoga, with some, um, myofascial release type stuff, a um, little bit more manual and, or teaching them how to do myofascial release on their own with, with different balls, you know, lacrosse balls, whatever they had at the house. Right. Um, I had a few bands like perform better little mini bands that I'd hand out to people. Um, one of my girlfriends sent me a few, she was an athletic trainer at a school. So like trying to keep my costs nice and low, but then giving the people what they need. And I am a true believer that you need to move to get better. Um, and then you need to, you need strength to get better as well. So I was just teaching them anything that I could share with them. I was giving them, I'd leave them with quote unquote homework, um, to do on, on their own. And then I'd see them usually once or twice a week Mm -hmm. going house to house. Okay. You had got these clients, a lot of them from referrals. So this kind of highlights how important it is to kind of not only have a network, but kind of have a niche so that people get to know you for being a specialist in something, whether it's a style of yoga or a particular aspect of yoga. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I, I know a lot of people are sick of hearing this word niche, but it's, it is important and people need to know what you do or you'll never get referred. Right. Because, right. So for me, everyone's like, oh, Gab is the yoga anatomist. Like she can help you with all your orthopedic injuries. But that really just started off with me in a yoga class offering bits and pieces of advice. When I was teaching, I'd have students that, you you know, you see them come out of a posture and you see them kind of like wiggle their shoulder or they like touch rub in their neck um, coming out of a down dog, for example. And so I, after class, would ask them, hey, I saw you come out of that down dog. You were rubbing your neck. Is everything okay? But again, this is in my scope of practice because this is my background. Um, So this, again, isn't for for every yoga teacher, but me specifically. I ask them and they'd be like, and I would tell them, I can help you with that. That I think is the missing link to a lot of people getting referrals. You have to tell people you can help them or they have no idea. Right, right. So you I'd say asking just to have the conversation. Exactly. And sometimes, sometimes you, can, you can feel when people are just like, okay, cool, thanks. And you just let them go. But right. otherwise, they'd be like, oh, cool. How can I get in contact with you? Right. Um, I don't even remember if I had business cards at that point. But I'd write my number down on a piece, on a post-it note. Right. Write my name, write my number, write my email. Here you go. Please, please feel free to reach out whenever you have a moment. I'd love to help you. Right, right, right. So this idea of whether you call it a niche or a differentiating factor, whatever you call it, it's, Mm -hmm. would you say for, for yoga teachers, especially now since we're kind of putting our business hat on, it's helpful for teachers at some point in their development and some point in their journey to take some time to think about what do they really enjoy about teaching? What knowledge base do they have that maybe they came with or they grew once they got their 200 hour baseline? And what do they love to do that can become their differentiator? 100%. And 
Um, for me, the best way that I know to help my clients kind of find their niche and really what they enjoy is to think about who you are slash who you were like one to five years ago. So you, you are an expert at your life. You are, whether you believe it or not, you are. And even if you feel like you've only made mistakes in your life, you are an expert at your life. So think of the person that you were like one to five years ago and write down all of the, write down who you were at that point and write down who you are now and pick out like five to six or 10, whatever, little bits and changes that you, the big pivot points that you've made or the big decisions that you've made, or, you know, if you've recently found meditation or you found that one thing that really has helped you scale your life to become the person that you are today, you are helping a you a few years ago always. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's easy to fall into those niches that you see. Oh, that's, you know, an anxiety coach. Like I don't, re re anxiety doesn't resonate with me. Sure. I have a little bit of an anxiety, but there's people with anxieties where like one of my clients is an anxiety coach for, for, um, coaches. Right. And basically, but she has gone through anxiety in the sense of she thought she left her hair straightener on and called the fire department because in her mind, her house was burning up and the poor little old lady who lived upstairs was on fire. Like anxiety yeah. doesn't resonate with me. So why would I go out and be an anxiety coach just because you see other anxiety coaches making money? Right. So right. Just think, who are you? And how have you gotten to this place that you are today? Right, right. So, okay. So now take us to what things look like today for you. Cause you're kind of taking us through kind of this journey, which is great. And I think it's really helpful for people to hear a little bit about kind of the process. Mm -hmm. And then now what do things look like now for you, especially when you talk about kind of the revenue pull that you have on a monthly basis, give Give listeners an idea of what are you doing to, what are the things that make that, that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my, so after when I was done wasting my time waitressing, it wasn't a waste of time. I did a lot of networking during that time and I was building, seeing more private clients. Um, but the way that I quote unquote got out of waitressing was I decided to work at a gym. And I figured this was one step closer to what I actually wanted to do, which was to work for myself. Um, so I started doing a blend of my yoga rehab with some more personal training, really adding the strength component um, because in my mind, it was still safe. I'm still living in this safe zone, not ready to take the next steps. Yeah. Um, but I was working at a gym and, you know, still guaranteed paycheck. There was no benefits. I was still working for myself. I was a 1099, but, um, it was a safe next step and a guaranteed paycheck because, you know, sh the gym can find me clients. I am not expected to find myself clients. Right. Um, it was a nice turning point. It really served a really beautiful role. I did a ton of, I've met a lot of, lot of really great people. Um, but again, it wasn't working for myself. Yeah. So, uh, I worked there for probably over a year, uh, because again, it felt safe. You will never grow when things feel safe. <laughs> um, I was still living in my, in whether some, some months I would have good months, but the good months were really when I had a few extra private clients, the 
few good months were not when I just had more clients through the gym. Right. When you work at a gym, they take like 50% of your paycheck or rather of each session, which is 50% of your paycheck. So when I quit, I literally tripled my income. And I'm not just saying that I quit the gym. I had less clients personally than I was seeing at the gym. So I was working less hours and I tripled my income. Yeah. And because I quit and because I was working less hours, I had more time to create, to do things. So I built an online course um, for yoga anatomy. Um, I built uh, rather my, I think my ebook was already out at that point. Um, yeah. So the last time that we talked. That yes. Was out. Okay, good. Um, so yes, my ebook was out, but I built an online course. I was seeing more private clients. Um, I was traveling less. So I was actually making them come. I say making, I was having them come to my house. Um, so I was working out of my house because again, I had a really bad experience buying, renting a space. So I didn't want to do that. I said, but then the money was all mine. Um, and we have an extra bedroom. So it was perfect. Um, so currently I am seeing a few clients one-on-one because I've, they've been with me for a few years and I just absolutely love them. Um, we work on more mobility with a little bit of a more band kind of strength. So I do work with people one-on-one still. Um, but really between, I still do my anatomy teacher trainings. That's, that's really my passion project. I love teaching the anatomy portions of teacher trainings. Um, but I, then I see private clients via zoom. So, um, people, yeah, it's awesome. It is virtual. I don't have to leave the house. Um, or if I'm at my space, I can stay there. And so really I see, I am working with private clients and I work with them. Some of them, um, we do a little bit more anatomy tutoring, um, so they can scale their yoga business. They it's, that's more of a, that's kind of just my niche. So I work with health and wellness experts and I help them with their business coaching. I help them scale their business. Okay. Sometimes the scaling looks like you getting better at your craft. And so I use the anatomy knowledge there to help you get better at your craft or to help you really settle down in that niche and teach you the things that will help you get better with that niche. Um, one lady specifically is working, um, she lives in an area with one yoga studio, but it's predominantly older clients. She did her training in Nashville, which is predominantly younger people. So I'm helping her just kind of tailor her practice and she's Baptiste trained. So it's very power. Um, her older clients, it's just not accessible to them. So I'm helping her with her sequencing, with her movements, um, and then really with the functionality of what do these older clients need? They need to get up and off the floor. So helping her with that anatomy portion, but as we work on the marketing, as we work on um, charging your worth, as we work on the fears around putting your name on things and getting your name out there and working on the referrals. Um, But that looks just like hopping on a Zoom call. Um, We meet once a week for 60 minutes. And my program specifically is a four month long program. So we meet 16 times. Um, and then really whatever you need that session, that's what we're working on. Okay. Um, and that is where bulk of bulk of my business is coming from currently. Okay. So I think for a lot of teachers, yoga teachers in particular listening, they're probably, um, like wondering about this whole other world of, um, 
digital support, digital marketing and supporting clients in that way, because so many teachers really have the model, whether they're teaching full-time or part-time where they basically are the only way to bring in revenue is by doing something in person. Yes. So, so this idea of, um, I'm a yoga teacher. I teach X number of classes a week. I do workshops once a month. I do a retreat once a year. That's kind of been for a long time, the pretty standard model for yoga teachers to make money. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so the only way that teachers could increase their revenue would be to increase how many classes they taught, how many workshops they taught, maybe how many people were in their classes, if they were paid per head, maybe, uh, and same for workshops, if they were paid per head, uh, per attendee, and then how many retreats they did, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe how many specialty workshops they did, if they did something once a quarter that was like a live event once a year or go away. But all of it required them to physically be the doer. Correct, yes. And so that model seems to be not only physically exhausting, but there's an absolute limit on how much you can physically do and how many opportunities, no matter how great your network is, we all know the yoga market is super saturated with teachers. So if you're in a particular city, you may have a lot of other opportunities that are taken up by other teachers. So there just aren't enough workshops, classes, studios, you know, kind of to go around for all the teachers that are out there. So it sounds like, you know, and I kind of, I definitely subscribe to this model myself, this idea of, well, how can you take you as the doer and now create something that's a product that you can sell, like your online course, Mm -hmm. and also provide services online, like you're doing via Zoom, where you don't have to physically go someplace Mm -hmm. and you can see people who live anywhere in the world. So tell us, let's focus first on the clients that you, that you help virtually. Mm -hmm. How do you get them? Mm -hmm. How do they find you? And what kind of packages are you offering? You mentioned 16 weeks, but let's, let's start with the basics for people that are listening and they're like, Hey, I specialize in X, Y, Z about yoga. I could definitely help other yoga teachers specialize in this area too. How would they even go about doing that? So the biggest thing is getting super clear on your messaging. And this has really been a big game changer for me in both my anatomy world and the business coaching world. Um, And it's really, you're not, so when you're selling anything, um, you're not selling that specific service. You're selling how the client's going to feel. So for me, I, I work with, uh, in the yoga world, I work with people with orthopedic injuries. Traditionally, those are the people who find me and seek my help. So I am not selling them the fact that I will, I can put my hands on you and do myofascial release. I'm selling you a pain-free body. And Um, these are, and these are clients you see who are students versus the clients you see who are also teachers, right? Because I'm getting confused between the two. Um, These are my clients that I see one-on-one. So these are my private clients. In person. Correct. Got it. Um, Or virtual. I do not do virtual yoga training um, because I believe I need to put my hands on people to feel if 
if I'm trying to help you heal, I want to feel if that muscle is engaging. Sure, sure. So for me specifically, but with that being said, you can absolutely be doing online online yoga and leading people through that. I know people who do online breath work, um, online uh, meditations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But the biggest thing is to get really clear on your messaging, but you are selling how they will feel. You're selling you're selling kind of these end goal and results. So always keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it sounds really silly. The best way that I have found to find clients has been through social media mm -hmm. and literally just serve. Like I was getting no hits. I was like telling people I'm doing this, telling I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Like I'm business coaching now. I'm business coaching now. I've already built a no like and trust with my audience. I was like, man, how come nobody wants to work with me? And it's like, but all I was telling them was that I was business coaching. I wasn't offering any, any real advice as to, you know, what I can help you with in business. Yeah. Like what's um, the transformation that you're Awesome. Yeah. So for me, it has really been about just showing up online. Um, Instagram is where I do most of my work, most of my social media stuff. Um, and I just show up and I get on my stories every day besides the weekends and I serve them. What are some, what am I working through right now? Because what I'm working through is definitely what other people are working through, or maybe what other people want to be working through. So they see kind of, you know, number one, the struggle is for everybody at whatever level you're in. So that empathy is really, really great to know that you're on the right track, but really it's about getting on offering free content, offering them just little pieces of advice Number one, that helps build your no like, and trust factor with your audience. Um, sharing reviews of like my clients, their successes, um, people getting into my DMs and saying, man, this is really helped. This is exactly what I wanted to hear today. Mm -hmm. um, reposting some of that because that builds your no like, and trust. Mm -hmm. um, it's what do they say? Like, you're never going to go to, even if you get a really good review about a restaurant right up the road from your house. If one of your friends calls you and says, oh no, I went there, I had a horrible experience. You're like, well, Yelp says it's a really good place. Like right. everyone else, but if your friend tells you not to go there, even if it's right up the road, you're not gonna go there. Right. So collecting testimonials is imperative. Other people are, don't wanna be your guinea pig. Right. So find, you're gonna have to have that first client and maybe you offer it at a little bit of lower rate but in exchange, you get a really awesome testimonial. Right. Um, so know that that is, that is really good payment. I know it doesn't feel like monetary payment, but it is potentially really can make you a lot of money, the testimonials. Yeah. Okay. So let me just be sure that I'm on the same page with you about mm -hmm. who, when you're talking now about getting clients and the things that you're putting on Instagram to get clients, are these clients that you're going to see in person for hands-on services or are these other clients that are like people who are in the wellness profession because it sounds like you have two different kind of customers you have customers you see yep. in person who are you're the yoga teacher and the physical therapist and you're doing hands-on work with them mm -hmm. and then you have virtual services that you offer where those customers are not people you're going to see in person those are maybe wellness professionals that you're going to help with. So tell me just the two different. Yeah. To be honest, it has helped with, with both. 
Okay. Um, so currently I am not really advertising my in-person sessions because uh -huh. I'm trying not that I'm trying to stop that. I just don't, I'm not growing that side of my company anymore. It has served a really beautiful place and the clients that I have, I will continue to serve them. Um, but when I was even just posting about, um, posting other people's successes with me in the manual world, working with them to help them get out of pain or return back to their mat, yeah. um, it, is, it did help me grow that as well. And that was just sharing other people's successes with my audience. So people yeah. would reach out to me. How do I work with you? Yeah. Um, now that most of my market, most of my stories, most of my sharing is more in the business realm and how I've kind of developed this company, developed soul to soul and really progressed it into this business coaching okay. world. Okay. It's the same. It's the same work. My message is a little bit different, but the results are still the same. Okay. So, all right. So let's kind of make a little bit of a separation between the part of your business, which is seeing people in, in person. Mm -hmm. And are you teaching any yoga classes now at this point? Uh, I have two classes still on my yeah. schedule. You, you have a couple of people you see privately. You have a couple of classes you teach. You still go out and do the anatomy trainings in person when mm -hmm. studios ask you to come and do that. And then you have this bigger part of your business you're saying, which is working with people online. And this is really what I want to focus on because I think, again, this is where yoga teachers can really scale their revenue growth potential. It's, it's definitely possible in other in-person ways, but it's so much more possible at bigger levels if you go online, just because of the vastness of who you can reach with lots of different techniques and, um, and the fact that you're physically not doing the work. You're, it's more of a mental, you're sitting at your desk mm -hmm. working with somebody online or you've created a product. So there's just so much more potential longevity to it, which, you know, in the yoga teaching world, since we're doing things face-to-face -face with people, it's wear and tear on our body and wear and tear even on a spiritual side because we're constantly in that giving way. Um, oh, where even when you're in a giving way doing things virtually, it's, it's a different um, impact on your physical systems. So I think for the long term, doing things online in your business gives you a much longer path with much less wear and tear on your, on your physical body. So let's focus on that for now. So, so you've got this whole part of your business where you're working with people who are like us, they're in the wellness profession. They want to take things online. And I hear what you're saying in terms of they've really got to decide who are they serving? What's kind of their differentiator, right? It's not just, I'm a yoga teacher. It's I'm a yoga teacher who specializes in this because of this reason, because this resonates with me, because maybe my story or some successes I've had. So all of that kind of leads them to an offering. So when you talked before, you were saying, I've got online courses and I've got coaching services that I provide. So let's just talk first, and this is gonna be probably like a big, huge nut to crack open, but let's talk about for whatever you're doing in this virtual world, how are you deciding what you're charging for these services? Because you've made a lot of references about undercharging and all of this. And I know yoga teachers in general probably do 
undercharge for things they do in person. And then once they go online, they probably undercharge too. So let's talk a little bit about charging your worth and what goes into that. Yeah. So, um, yes, yoga teachers literally probably, if I have had 10 calls in the last two weeks, every single one of them is undercharging. For um, what kind of for thing? Yoga. They, the people that I have been on the, on calls with have been doing 60 minute yo, in-person yoga sessions. Okay. And so, but my, like biggest, you said, I'm going to guess that they're charging under a hundred dollars. Oh, 55. One of them charges $55. Okay. She drives to their house. I'm like, my love, why? Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? Why? I said, why are you? I said, you, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. You can go to a studio right up the road. Their drop-in rate is $25 for a class to drop in to one class that's not specific to you. Like with a bunch of people. Right. I was like, so what are you, what are you, so nonetheless, anyways, the biggest, the biggest thing that I have said to a few people that has totally resonated with them, specifically yoga teachers has been, so look at the massage therapists in your neck of the woods. I use the same, that's funny. I use the same analogy. It's we, as yoga teachers, if you do assist, sure, you're putting your hands on them. You're not rubbing them. It's not sweetest massage. You're probably not even doing deep tissue, like whatever. But you are manipulating their fascia. You are manipulating the fluids inside their bodies. You are creating strength. You are creating deep tissue muscle changes. You are just asking it through movement instead of laying flat on my table, chilling out, and I'm just going to rub and dub on you. Right. Like you are doing the same exact thing. So right. charge what they're charging. Right. So, but basically a hundred dollars, I think is industry, at least industry standard where I am right now. For one-on-one -on -one um, sessions. Private. Correct. Correct. And this a hundred dollars is this, if you're traveling to them, charge your tra charge for your travel time. It is a hundred dollars for just the session. If they're right. coming to you, it's just a hundred dollars. If you're traveling to them and it takes you 20 minutes to get there, maybe you charge 20 bucks. Now, what if you're doing, what if you are doing the private in a studio and the studio is charging, let's say $25 to rent the space? I would charge 125. Yeah. So you are still getting your hundred dollars. Right, right, right. So let's, let's dig a little deeper in terms of you know, and I know, so we're just talking right now about what teachers charge for private clients. We haven't even talked about their negotiations with studios in regards to studio sure. classes or what they're charging for workshops and their negotiations with studios around that, or if they do specialty trainings like you and I do when we go in and do anatomy trainings, right? So let, let's just acknowledge we haven't talked about the charge charging for different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what this brings up is, and I don't know if this is the same for every yoga teacher. I know in different industries, um, and certainly in the digital marketing world, I've talked to a lot of people who aren't in the yoga world, but who also offer digital products like you and I do. And there's this thing called imposter syndrome. Like who am I to be charging X mm -hmm. for my online course or for my coaching? And so I feel like in the yoga world, 
for some reason, even though teachers are going out and spending two and three and $4,000 for trainings, they are coming out of those trainings. And then there's this like not being willing to charge because of what? I don't know what it is. And I wanted to ask you, do you think it's a, I'm super new, I can't charge over a hundred dollars or it's just yoga. It's not worth more than a hundred. So what, where do you think that comes from? I think it's everything you're saying. Um, but really I think it, it, it is, it's fear period. Um, you're fearful fear that it, what? fearful that you're not, you're, if you charge too much, you won't have clients. Yeah. Um, but the beautiful thing is if you charge more, you need less clients. Right. So you need, I would rather charge a higher price point and work less than, than, so for example, if I have 10, we'll say five clients at a hundred dollars each, I'm making $500. If I have, if I'm only charging $50 for my session, now I need 10 clients. Right. Now, now I'm working 10 hours a day like that. It's just, I'd rather charge more, have less clients, but you're still making the same amount of money. Right. But right. I, I think it's fear of you're not, somebody's going to fear of rejection. Right. They're not going to, yeah. they're not going to want to pay the price point and good. Yeah. Not everyone, you don't want everyone to pay your price point. Yeah. 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 I feel like there's some kind of qualitative judgment that teachers place on yoga services as a whole, mm -hmm. where even though as teachers, they're practitioners and teachers, they somehow come out of the training and they put a monetary amount on what they now can offer the world mm -hmm. that somehow at its baseline is way less than it should be. And I think when you brought up massage, it's a great analogy because it is a really similar profession. And I think unless I'm going, there's a massage school up the road here in Boston where I can get massages by students at 50 bucks. And that's just a student. If right. I go into any massage clinic I'm, or office, I'm spending at least $100. So I think, you know, $100 is a good baseline. Mm -hmm. um, even before you start looking at your own kind of personal metrics around, well, how many people do I want to work? And hey, what kind of clients do I want to have? Like there were times in my life I had a lot of business clients, like a lot of guys in particular who were like techies and they would, you know, they wouldn't bat an eye at spending $200 for a private. I had to go to their office. We just, you know, had the session write it because they couldn't even see themselves clear to extricate themselves from their right. workplace. Right. And for them, you know, they would pay me $200 cash. It was no big deal. They carried, you know, a thousand bucks in their wallet anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's a different kind of clientele and you can build your clientele to be whatever you want. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You know what that is. So it's a matter of, you know, that goes into your, your, how you set your pricing. Um, but I think there is something, I don't want to say insidious, but cause it sounds kind of bad, but there's something kind of inherent in the yoga culture of teachers where we come out with this imposter syndrome, like I'm not worth it. Mm -hmm. And, and yet it flies in the face of how much money we invest in our training. It's insane. Agreed. Right? And every time yoga Alliance moves the bar in terms of, okay, now you got to jump through this hoop to have this. Now you got to, 
it's all it translates to is more money you have to spend on your training, yeah. right? So it, it seems kind of lopsided, no? Agreed, 100% agree. Yeah, yeah. So as teachers, or for the teachers that are listening, what would you say is a way to kind of, because this is, this is kind of two things. This is not only the mechanics of what you're going to charge. This is like the limiting belief that you've got to address. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you say to teachers you're working with who are like, I'm sorry, Gabby, I just don't feel like I'm smart enough who, or I don't have the authority to charge $150 per session. Who am I to be doing that? I, I've only been teaching like a year and you know, I mean, gosh, I know there are other teachers who are teaching less than $100 that have more experience than me. Like, what are you going to say to that person? Um, well, I always start with, you're worth it. Yeah. Because you are. But really, so this is the fun stuff for me for business coaching. Um, do you, are you familiar with the Enneagram? No. When you mentioned that before, I hadn't. You, oh, anyways. Basically, the Enneagram is a personality test. Um, not, not, uh, kind of. Yep. So there's there's, the Myers-Briggs formatted. Okay, perfect. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, but it's in the sense of, um, there's like, uh, there's one through nine. Apparently there's 27 different types. We're not just like a specific one number. We're always like, you know, numbers in between. Um, but for me, I'm an Enneagram two. So the two is the helper. Um, so like my deepest desires is to be loved and to love other people. And so like, I always come from a place of service where if I'm unhealthy, if I'm at unhealthy, unbalanced to where my unhealthiness goes is that I come from a place of service, but with the expectation to receive love back. So I don't, when I'm unhealthy, my, my place of service is not coming from a place of, I just truly want to serve, but it's with the expectation that then you will, because I am serving you, you will love me back. Mm -hmm. So for me, I would talk to me much different than one of my clients is in Enneagram six and the Enneagram six, I believe is the achiever. I don't remember, don't quote me on that. Um, but nonetheless, for a number six, the, the way that their personality works is that they will never come to a rash decision. So they need to collect all of the data, all the data. They can never have too much knowledge before they are willing to actually make a decision. Mm -hmm. So the way that I coach my clients diff is different based off the client in front of me. Mm -hmm. But for just like general, it's, you want to just make sure that the person know the person who doesn't think that they can charge enough. They know that they, that they're worth it. Like mm -hmm. think about all the things that you've gone to. I remind them you're an expert at your life. What you're helping these people with is something that you have already gone through. Right. So you have the answers, you know what to do. You just need to gain the confidence. Right. Um, but I will say like, if they, if they only, I only feel comfortable charging 80. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or, or set whatever their number is. I said, okay, why don't you have, you know, go find two clients that are willing to pay you that. And then after those two clients, I want to challenge you to charge $20 extra, mm -hmm. or, you know, $40 or maybe double it. If they're only charging 50, I would challenge them to double it. Right. So now your next two, your next five clients, you know, you started at 50 your next five clients, charge them 80. Right. See how it feels. Right. 
if it doesn't feel good, do another five at 80. Right. As, but you'll see, like, you'll see as you start getting these people willing to pay you 80, now you do five of them. It's almost like, okay, I've hit my five milestone. Let me see if they'll, if I can charge a hundred. Right. I think, this, I think go the, ahead, love. I was just going to say, I think the interesting thing that you're now focusing on in addition to this other piece of like, I'm not worth it slash imposter syndrome is your feelings about money. You know, oh, the idea that there's not enough to go around. If I charge more, somebody doesn't have the money to pay me. This whole kind of like money is at a limit, limited supply. And I can't, you know, I can't charge more because my clients will go away. They won't have the money to pay me. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really interesting when we talk about we see things with people at the surface, but it's like the tip of the iceberg is all we can see underneath the water is like the self-limiting beliefs. And then the, at least in terms of this beliefs about money, like how you were raised to think about money. If you were raised like always pinching pennies, you're probably as a business owner going to not charge a lot for your services. You know, if you, you know, it goes on and on and on. Like we, we could probably go into like a whole conversation about that. And you know, this, this is, this was hard for, that was the hardest thing for me. Um, the way I was raised was you have to hustle all the time right. to make ends meet. Right. So literally I thought when I first started, okay, I need more clients. I need more clients. I need more. I wasn't even keeping real great financial track records, right. but I need more. I need more clients. I need more. I don't know. Like I couldn't even tell you the numbers, but I need more. I need more. I need more. I need to hustle. I don't have enough clients. I need to work harder. I need to work harder. I need to work harder. And it led me to serious burnout. And I didn't care about like literally wanting to check my phone while my private client is in Shavasana. Like yeah. I'm not even like for me, when my client is in Shavasana, I am sitting with my eyes closed, like in right. meditation. I am not if this is woo woo i'm sorry but like almost praying over them like you oh, know sure. like what, like what do they need to them today? so that they can relax you're kind of watching holding the space exactly yeah and at the end during my burnout it's like i'm checking my clock like in the five minute shavasana i've checked my phone four times like come on like it's five minutes yeah yeah and that's when i knew i need to charge more because the, i'm sick i'm just sick i'm not that i'm sick of teaching yoga yeah. I'm just sick of the hustle and the grind and I am worn out and I just don't care about the people in front of me anymore, right. which meant I was not healthy at all inside. Right. Right. And I think when we talked in the very beginning about this kind of, you're the, as a yoga teacher, you're the only, your physicalness is the only way to make money if you're running mm -hmm. around and that whole cultural phenomena around busy, 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 busy is the only way mm -hmm. those two things combined do not make a long-term career that's sustainable. It just, like you say, all it does is lead to burnout. So, absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. So, all right. So let's try to um, kind of give people some actionable things that they can do. So I think the first thing that I pull out of this conversation is for teachers listening, they need to do some kind of soul searching and journaling around 
where they are today, where they've been, what kind of lessons they've learned, and what do they really love doing in their teaching so that they can come out of that soul searching exercise with a little bit more definition around what is their differentiator. Mm -hmm. Like when they're teaching, what are they going to offer their students maybe as an additional thing? Hey, you can follow up with me because I noticed this in your practice and I can help you with that. Like what is that? You know, I like to think of it, I saw a presentation recently where the, where the presenter was saying, think of your offer as a gift. You're yes. gifting somebody this, and they don't have to receive it in this context, right? Um, but it's like an opportunity for them. It's not like you're selling it to them. You're basically saying, I can help you. If you would like to work with me, here's what I can offer you. So okay. I think the first step for teachers is doing a little bit of that soul searching, doing a little bit, a little bit of that journaling so they can come out with that, right? Would you agree that's like step one? Absolutely. What sets you apart? Yeah. You're not just a yoga teacher. Right, exactly. What sets you exactly. apart, for sure. A yoga teacher, while it's it's good in defining generally what you're doing, it's not specific enough because mm -hmm. as we know, there's lots of areas where you can specialize. Okay, so there's that. And then I think the next thing is really being real with yourself around what you are charging. Because even right now as a teacher, if you're not in the digital world with products and services and you're doing everything yourself, going and teaching classes, take a look, start to write down, here's what I'm getting paid for my classes. Here's what I'm charging for my pride. And really look, would you say, kind of examine those rates and see? And what if they decide they want to increase some of those rates? How do they do that without freaking out that their clients are going to leave them? Absolutely. Um, the biggest thing is the more you, the more in tune you are with your finances, the more control you have over your finances. So don't be scared. Like get a finance tracker. I made an Excel spreadsheet. Like get a finance tracker. Keep track of what you're actually bringing in and what you're actually putting out, so that it's not just a more, 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 more. And trust me, I've been there, and it it, it it's burnout. Um, but another really big thing that has helped me as well as a lot of my clients as of late has been to package your services. So what this looks like is putting people on what I call a retainer. So maybe they pay at the beginning of the month for four, if you know, if you meet with your clients one day a week, um, you, there's traditionally four weeks in a month. So they pay at the beginning of the month for four sessions with you. Now they have fall break in the middle of that. It's like, okay, so I know you have fall break. So, you know, you're not going to miss out on that money. They've paid for the four sessions. You find another time in the three weeks that you do have to fit in another session. And with that being said, they're paying to save their spot with you. You only have so many hours that you are working. Traditionally in our world here, it's a 40 hour work week. If you worked 40 hours teaching privates, you are burnt out. Right. So I want to challenge you. Um, if you have three clients paying $100 five days a week, you're making six figures. That's three clients at $100 each that you have five. So 15 clients in a week charging $100, you are making six figures. Um, so with that being said, if 15 clients is a lot for you, the best thing, the best piece of advice I've had for my clients is what else can you be offering? 
So now they're not, you've stopped exchanging time for money in the sense of I'm paying you $100 for an 60 minutes of your time. Now, instead of charging them $400 for the four sessions, what else can you include in that? Is it a, you know, is it a daily meditation that you're just emailing them? You're right. emailing all your clients the same meditation, but you know, that's an added bonus. If you work with me, you know, if you're into nutrition, can you offer nutrition advice? Mm -hmm. um, maybe you offer digital nutrition sessions with them. Mm -hmm. So now you're charging a greater rate. Again, I call it a retainer, call it whatever you want package. Um, but you charge them at the beginning of the month for all of the things that you're going to offer them. Um, if you, if you're really great at handstands and you want to do, you know, here's a PDF of all, you know, these different exercises and I'll send you four different exercises a week to advance your handstands. So now, you know, every Monday in their inbox, they get their home quote unquote homework from you. You're not just charging them $400. Maybe you're charging them $500 with the promise of, you know, I, you get four weeks worth of homework every month and every month, you know, you might change it. What are your other side passions? What else do you like to do? What do you like to include in your yoga and or in your mindfulness and your wellness, whatever it might be, what sets you apart? Yeah. Are they willing to pay for this as an added bonus? And then you can build your packages from there. So you've stopped trading time for money. You're making more money, but a lot of the things that you're giving them is a little bit more passive in the sense of I can send it to Karen, I can send it to Joe, and I can send it to Susan. Right, right. So it can serve more than just that one client. Absolutely. And yeah. that has, that's been my game changer um, in the sense of me actually scaling my business to make good money, be able to support myself, not be paycheck to paycheck for it um, yeah. every month. Um, and it's helped a lot, a lot of my clients just be able to build and grow and really scale and not have to work so freaking hard. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like for teachers who are working a full-time job and teaching part-time and they want yep. to teach full-time, they don't always know about what you are talking about in terms of an arm of their business. They, they might be out there thinking the only way for me to leave my full-time job and teach full-time to support myself is by just getting more classes on my schedule, getting more privates, Absolutely. getting more workshops. But what you're suggesting is there's this whole other world where they could use their expertise, charge for it at a rate that really reflects their experience. Absolutely. That's a whole other area where they can build income. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's do this in the final minutes here. Tell, um, tell people if there are teachers out there that want this kind of support to build this kind of business, how do they get in touch with you? And also I want to be sure people know soul to soul. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but since they're listening, the mm -hmm. spelling of that. So just tell, tell listeners how to find you. Yeah. So if you are looking to create a high ticket offer and high ticket packages, I would love to be of service to you guys. Um, my name again is Gabby DeLorenz. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Gab, G-A-B period, DeLorenz, D-E-L-O-R-E-N-Z-E. Um, and then you can book a free 30 minute alignment call with me, which looks like us getting on a zoom call. Um, if you don't have access to zoom or your computer, uh, tell, you can always just ring in with your telephone and we can t uh, have a chat that way. 
Um, but it's a free 30 minute alignment call. And it's really the intention is for me to feel out what you're actually needing, what your biggest desires, dreams, and your biggest obstacles are. And then I will tell you if I am a good fit for you, or if I have um, a few other colleagues that I can refer you out to if I think I'm not the best fit for you to help you grow and scale. Um, and then of course you can get to know if you think I would be a good fit for you as well. Right. Um, but you can find me on, um, Instagram is the best. If not, my email is Gabby G A B B Y at soul to soul wellness. It's S O U L T O S O L E wellness w e l l n e s s dot com um or you can go over to um my website which is soul to soul wellness dot com um all my contact information my you know bios and all my offering and services is on my website it's uh, soul to soul wellness dot com okay great well we have covered a lot of ground Yes. Uh, as we did. And this was really great because as I said at the beginning, we did our first two together about anatomy. So that was more of the teaching content. And so I know for listeners, if they haven't heard those, I'm going to link those up in the show notes. And then this gives all of the business, which I really feel like is oftentimes behind the scenes. So I really appreciate yeah, this opportunity to bring it from behind the scenes to the front of the scenes so that we can really start, you know, sharing with teachers the tactical around how are they going to support themselves and grow businesses that are sustainable. So thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and your experience. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Okay. As always, we're going to have you back because there's always much more we can talk about every time we do one, it sparks other topics, uh, you know, that we can talk about too. So thank you so much. Have a great weekend and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Karen. Thank you. Bye. 